Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015. It's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and uh, we've got a big show today. Uh, our guest is a PDO Cast Mount Rushmore resident, and I believe this is one of his first public appearances since uh, rising up from the ashes and coming back bigger and better than ever uh, as the head boss of the Athletics Detroit branch. It's Craig Custins. Craig, what's going on, man? Uh, nothing. I like how you described that. That was out of the ashes. Yeah, well, I've, you were gone there for a while, and honestly, it was like it was during the Stanley Cup final, and I felt like I really missed your insight on it because you always provide these interesting little behind-the-scenes nuggets that I feel like other people aren't even really thinking about. So, I, def- I, I for one, I can't speak for anyone else, but I definitely miss your missed your perspective on that series. Well, I appreciate that. It was it was really weird um, not covering the Stanley Cup final as a hockey writer and and someone who's done it for the, the final for ten years and. It was just, um, it was just how my. Uh, it was a really weird, you know. My contract ended, and it was just the transition to the athletic. It was when it fell, and we had to keep it under wraps. And it was just a strange timing of it all. Um, so yeah, it was. It was probably, you know, it was weird not being there, and you know, not weighing in. So. Well, at least it worked out that you know you're in the saddle now, and you're ready to go for all of the, uh, for the entry draft and the expansion draft and free agency. I feel like this is definitely the best time of the year. Yeah, no, it's a, it's been an exciting week, and, and that was part of the plan. Like we were, we we launched the Athletic Detroit this week uh, on Monday, and and there was kind of some internal debate on when to do it. And I said, look, there's there's just so much going on with the, with the expansion, and I, like I hated not even being a part of the protected list. Like I wanted to dive into some of that the week before, and um, but you know with the with the draft and the trades that are going on as we speak, um, I, I just. It, we had waited long enough. It was good to be good to be back at it. Okay, so I, I initially planned um, for us to talk about the awards and the expansion draft, but as you mentioned, the trades. We're recording this on a, a Thursday early afternoon, and the Jordan Eberle news just dropped like ten minutes ago. Um, and I feel like we should get that out of the way because otherwise, we're going to be talking about the expansion draft and stuff, and I'm just going to be thinking about. Uh, the trade and how I feel about it the entire time, and, and, that, and that might impact the quality of the discussion. So let's get that out of the way, and then we can move on to other things. Let's, let's do it. All right. So, 
I think this is a fascinating trade because from the Islanders' perspective, it makes a ton of sense, right? Like, you know, they have this massive yeah. uh, John Tavares free agency looming, and I think the report came out from Arthur Staple this past week that, you know, Tavares is perfectly comfortable waiting it out this year and seeing where it goes and then deciding later on rather than locking himself up right now to a new deal, which I'm sure is, you know, providing a lot of... uh consternation and concern for for islanders fans and islanders management but you know they went out here they have a pretty clear mandate to try and improve their team and get him better players to play with and you look at sort of the list of the the wingers that he spent time with at 515 last year and it's a it's it's a, a remarkable list of who's who the guys like cal clutterbuck and nikolai kulame <laughs> and then and you know obviously he played with anders lee and, and josh bailey and guys like that but it was just they couldn't yeah. really seem to find uh, a long-term fit there after Kyle Pozo left in free agency. And Eberle seems like a pretty logical guy to step in there and help, and help kind of receive some of those passes from him and convert them into goals. I, I agree completely. I think for the Islanders, it's, it's a great, um, it's a great addition. And for all the reasons you said, and I, I don't think you can um, overstate the importance of, of a move like that and keeping John Tavares around um, because it, it's true. He's in complete wait and see mode. And I, you know, maybe it's a debate for another day. But if I'm the Islanders, I don't want that. Like I, I don't want him stringing this out into the season because if you're forced to trade him at some point, his trade value is like dropping by the day just because teams are getting less of him. And so, I think if you know, maybe you don't want to do moves based on satisfying or placating players typically, but um, anything you can do to keep John Tavares happy should be done. And I think this is. Um, I, I, love, I love this too for the Islanders. Yeah, I mean, well, placating a superstar can be done two ways. One can be like, oh, we're going to acquire this guy because he's friends with him, but the guy might not actually be that good at, at, at hockey. And then there's, well, we can sort of satisfy him by also winning some games and improving our team. And it seems like Eberle's the best of both worlds in that regard here. Well, right, because, you know, you've heard that with some of the other players that signed long-term, maybe some of the depth guys on the Islanders, that, mm-hmm. you know, they're close with Tavares, and that was uh, kind of a case to keep them around. Um, but you're right. Like John Tavares is a guy that wants to win a Stanley cup. He doesn't want to, you know, he's in that, he has that same mentality as Taves and, and Kopitar and Crosby. And he's 26 years old or whatever he is now. And, you know, his prime years, uh, not even coming close to having that kind of success. And, and he's cut from that same exact cloth. And you're right. It's, it's, it's less about who he likes and more about, um, let's, let's put together a team that, he can be convinced can win something big. Yeah, you know what's funny? Every time I think that you know we and we are definitely uh, ahead of where we were a few years ago in terms of our understanding of of kind of what matters and what doesn't and how to uh, how to dissect numbers and, and kind of look at predictability and stuff. But we always kind of bump into this thing where you know a guy has a massive either shooting percentage spike or a shooting percentage dip and then you really see that maybe we're not as far ahead as, as we think we are when people start making kind of excuses for what's going on. And with Eberle, he, you know, he dips from like a 14 to 15 percent uh, career shooter basically down to like nine last season and scores obviously right. fewer goals as a result. And all of a sudden you start hearing this stuff about how he doesn't practice hard enough and how he might not be fully invested and how he's not working hard enough and all, all, all this kind of side stuff whereas i'm sure that if he gets a few more bounces there and scores his customary 25 goals which he probably will do again next year like none of that stuff really gets aired out or matters and it's just funny how that works 
Yeah, it's fun. So I'm with you. I, I I hear a lot of the the other side of it too, and and you know I'm. It, it's so hard to um, figure out how much of that you factor into your decision making because I, I I don't think you can just say build a team around you know the numbers and I think you have to factor all that into consideration um, and and I don't know what's being said about Everly or what's true and not true but I do think um, I mean this it happens all the time where where teams sour on a guy and they don't they, they feel in some way he's running counter to the culture they're trying to build um, and and they get less value for them and fans, you know, sometimes it, it's leaked out or whatever. It, sometimes it's not, but um, I mean, that stuff exists. Wait, are you and talking- I think you have to, I think, I think you have to factor into the equation. Like I, I, I do, like I'm not willing to just say, let's, let's just punch, you know, put, put the best numbers into a roster. Like I think that stuff is important on some level. I think it's overvalued it. You're saying, you're saying you're saying the game is played on the ice and not on the spreadsheets. Yes, to be <laughs> No, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm messing with you. And, and, and you know, when you, while you were talking about that, I wasn't sure if you were still talking about Jordan Eberle or a particular uh, goalie in your neck of the woods. Well, I, maybe that's fresh in my mind. And mm. there's you know, um, there's a couple other cases of that right now. And when when you're talking to people in the trade market, you're like, oh, this guy's available, and they're like, yeah, but he's available because of X, Y, and Z you know stuff that sometimes gets out sometimes doesn't and it's just it is a reality that that managers have to deal with um and sometimes you know guys I, like i'm with you know i i'm more on your side than the other side but right. i do think it's there's there's a it has to be part of the equation and, well, it's, yeah. and it's a reality of the situation there is definitely an equation there and i think that you know, it'd be silly to overlook the fact that there is some level of human element involved where I'm sure that, you know, it's easy to, like I've talked about this with Mike Johnson, for example, and other players where, like, it's easy to just say, oh, just wait for the goals to start coming. But I'm sure that it kind of affects other parts of your game or, you know, how, you know, certain off-ice things, the way you're approaching it, if, you know, things aren't going well, it's it's not as easy right. as just, you know, hoping that the shooting percentage eventually evens out. Sometimes it can affect other things. The reason why we care about it is because, you know, generally speaking, that shooting percentage tends to even out over time and Eberle's kind of shown himself to be an above average finisher. And I, I find it hard to believe at this stage of his career that he all of a sudden forgot how to score goals. So it just seems like, you know, I, I understand from Edmonton's perspective why they'd be concerned, but for the Oilers, it seems like a really good buy low where I would probably, I'd feel pretty comfortable betting on him kind of going, reverting back to his career norms and being a very productive player for them next season. Yeah. I think so, and and uh, I, 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 you know, ultimately, I, I agree with you. He was a great buy low candidate. It's a smart move um, by by them, and um, it, you're solving a lot of problems we talked about. Well, it seems like yeah. So from Garcino's perspective and the Islanders, they sort of jumped at the opportunity here to improve their team, and 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 it, it makes a ton of sense. I think it's probably more interesting discussion from Edmonton's perspective because you know there's the concerns about Eberle's play and how he his offense dried up last season. But it seems like more of this probably has to do with the fact that they were concerned about clearing up money to pay McDavid and Dreisaitl this summer. Yeah. yeah. And that's all part of the equation. I, I Like, w- when you're evaluating trades, um, it's you have to factor in the price, uh, you know, the, the price tag uh, in terms of the cap hit. And, like you know, to go back to the Taylor Hall trade. Like the, the 
big appeal to a lot of teams to, with Adam Larson was the contract he was signed under. And, and that's when you're weighing a player's value, it's on ice value. And it's also, okay, is his, is his number maybe, are we getting a break in terms of, you know, his market value? And so now, you know, I think Everly was, you know, the, the Oilers were paying a premium for him. Like he got that big contract right away. Like there's not, a, you know, and, and now in, in Strom, you've got a player who's at what, two and a half million and 23 years old. Um, I mean, that's, that's all part of the equation. Yeah, I agree with that. I, it's interesting because it's, it's going to be funny to see how, uh, you know, this, how the storytelling plays out next season because it's quite possible that assuming Cam Talbot holds up and has another really good season, like, you know, guys like McDavid and Dreisaitl will improve and, yeah. uh, you know, Jesse Pugliarvi, for example, might come into the lineup and, and, and produce as a top pick for them and all of a sudden they could conceivably get even better. But, you know, it, it, I don't know. Did, did you did you come across this this season where it felt like, uh, you know, certain segments of the media were unwilling to just admit that McDavid's just pure dominance was a big (laughs) reason for Edmonton's success. It seemed like there was all this, you know, side stuff going on about, you know, moves Shirelli made or certain culture or stuff that was going on, which I'm sure played a role. But at the end of the day, without McDavid, none of it was really possible. Right. Well, sure. Um, You know what I think part of that is like you're, if you're, if you're um, grinding out, the beat and you're carving the team every day and like you can't write Connor McDavid as often every single day. Right. So right. some days you're like, boy, I, I, you know, let's try to, let's, you know, it, it's the day to write the defenseman story or whatever he's having, you know, or, or the culture story. And like, I, you know, I think if you ask anybody in Edmonton, what's the biggest reason for the Oilers success, they're going to take Connor McDavid. I would, I mean, we've seen what that team looks with, without him. And it's, it's dramatically different. But um, I like I. But you know, I'm not going to criticize people for writing other stuff just because I know sometimes you just, you know, you, you got to write stuff. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, it's part of the job. I get it. I get it. Um, okay, so you're in you're in Chicago right now preparing for the entry draft. So you're not you weren't actually in Vegas for uh, last night's no. festivities. But um, I wanted to talk quickly about the award show just to you know okay. cover our bases. I thought. You know the actual awards themselves were pretty on point. Like I didn't really have any complaints with them. I thought that Connor McDavid was pretty clearly the best player in the league last season, and yep. it was cool from a you know from that storyline telling perspective that I was just talking about seeing him receive that award from Wayne Gretzky. I thought that was pretty neat. And that was awesome. yeah, you know, I, I I thought Eric Carlson was still the best defenseman in the world last year and doesn't really have anything to show for it. But Burns was a good enough alternative and was you know productive enough himself that I'm willing to you know just acknowledge that it's a perfectly fine choice. And you go on down the line, like Matthews was the best rookie. Patrice Bergeron was the best defensive forward. Bobrovsky was both the best goalie and the best coach in the NHL last year. So I don't have any issue with him winning both of those awards. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. It's funny because I, I was asked, I did a radio hit yesterday morning, or, you know, the morning of the award show. And they asked who I voted for Norris. And I, thought I'd voted for Carlson like I'm like oh is there and I think part of that was just because I'd covered a lot of the Ottawa run saw how great he was and that was like still fresh in my mind and I'm like oh yeah he was the best defense in the league then I'm like well hold on let me pull up my ballot and I'm like nope I had Brett Burns and it just, it just seemed like so long because we vote after the regular season's over with um and but I'm like 
you know, if you're, if I'm, I think, I think there's a great Carlson case to be made, obviously, but I, I, you know, I voted for Burns one, Carlson two, and then I had Carlson two on my heart trophy after Connor McDavid. So two bridesmaid votes for Carlson on my ballot. Well, and I imagine that's why this voting happens after the regular season and not after the playoffs. Obviously it's a regular season award, but it, if it was after the playoffs, I'm sure there'd be a lot of that kind of recency bias involved where it'd be tough to separate what you just saw in the postseason and you might overvalue it compared to what happened in the in the first 82 games of the season. I have a theory, and I, a working theory that I haven't played out, but Brent Burns' Norse Trophy win kind of supports it. I think the playoffs, the defensemen get that bump the following year. Mm. Like, like the Drew Doughty-Norris buzz really started when people saw those long runs. You know, you're covering the playoffs every single day out in L.A. You see Drew Doughty, and and I think like that that exposure, you get the benefit. And I think, I mean, Burns had a great year, but I think a big part of the appreciation for Brett Burns came from a lot of people seeing him in the playoffs when the Sharks went to the Stanley Cup final, and and I think that helped his case. And you know, I think Victor Hedman again, he was number three on my ballot for Norris, and I think a couple of the Lightning's long runs, and I can just say personally, like I, you know, I know Victor Hedman's a good player covering his him in the playoffs you you just get a greater appreciation for him and you you watch him on a daily basis you're seeing the impact of the team and you're seeing you know it's huge just how great a skater he is and how he can make up a lot of ground and, and how you know aggressive he was up, up and down the ice and so I, like i it's a, I, I do think there's you know the playoffs impact the vote but i think it's the following year yeah, well, so here's my one beef with NHL awards, and I'm curious for your perspective. I'm not sure if I've talked about this on this on this podcast with you, or or maybe uh, you know uh, behind the scenes. But yeah. I think I think all of these votes, and this will eventually happen, but I think they do need to be made public just for the purposes of maintaining accountability and making sure the the people entrusted with the votes are taking it seriously. Because while I think everyone got it right, like seeing the actual individual breakdown of the awards is always, I think, the best part to me, and it's like. Yeah, TJ Oshie. Nothing worse when you're sitting there like cringing when you're like, yeah. "Oh my gosh, this guy got a vote, a fifth place vote," you know. So I mean, you know, five. Uh, I guess only two people, but they didn't have Eric Carlson their top five on the Norris ballot, and then TJ TJ Oshie received two first place votes for the Selkie, and I love TJ Oshie, and he scored a lot of goals last year. But I don't understand how one person could think he was the best defensive forward in the league last year, but <laughs> two is like, okay, I mean, was like, what the heck? Yeah. Did someone turn in two ballots, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Or like these two people just like like ask each other who are you voting for TJ Oshie oh that sounds like a good pick I'll just go with that myself but right. like <laughs> listen I'm all for differences in opinion and approaching things from a different perspective and that's how we learn and grow but at the same time like you need to be able to present a coherent defense or argument for why you believe that rather than just kind of closing your eyes and throwing a dart at the board and I'd be fascinated to hear that and you know a lot yeah. of people have transitioned with like the social media age so actually publishing their ballots and that's great and it leads to interesting discussions and i wish everyone was just had to do that because it would i think provide a lot more transparency and transparency and accountability to the entire process well i can tell you and again this is about you know inside baseball but i, I mean that debate has been had pretty strongly a, a number of times amongst the writers and the league in terms of just putting every single ballot out there after the awards and um, and it's it's a pretty interesting split. Like there's a lot. I think there's I'm in I'm in the, the complete transparency camp, and I know other sports do it. And I'm like, look, you know, we're we're voting, and we should we should stand by our votes. And I you know I've always published. I'm always happy to 
read right down who I voted for. But um, there's other writers that are, for various reasons, are, aren't comfortable doing that. And, and it's easier for me to say, you know, kind of from a, a national perspective, most, most of my career where, you know, I, I'm not covering guys on a day-to-day basis. I think there's some beat writers, like, if, you know, probably feel, would feel pressure to vote for a, a person in the market or not vote for a person in the market and doesn't necessarily want, you know, the team or the fan base to know whether or not they did. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. So, like... Uh, that, like so, there's some concern on, on that front, and boy, I, I, it's, it's a debate we've had a, a number of times, and even put it to a vote. And you know, we've had basically the conclusion is we strongly encourage, as as the an organization, we strongly encourage writers to share their complete ballots. And uh, if you remember that one year, we were like to the point where like, all right, everyone post them, and then so many people did, it was like, oh, we, we we're actually giving away the vote. Like people started doing the math and figuring out who was going to win awards two years ago. So now it's like, you know, after the awards, get your ballot out there. Um, and, uh, you know, I think most writers are willing to do that. Yeah. No, I, I, I buy that. I, I, I think it's going to eventually happen, uh, you know, with everyone. But other other than that, I thought that the uh, the awards got it pretty right this this time. It's uh, I, Listen, I'm all for uh, complaining about stuff and, and, and being snarky about it, but I think that most of the award winners were the correct ones. So, there's not too much to discuss about it, which means that we can shift our sights to the expansion draft now. And we you know we we discussed the Eberle trade. I think there's going to be a few more. Uh, you know, as we were recording, the Canadians acquired David Schlemko for a pick, and I thought that you know it's a really yeah. smart move for them. And we're going to see more stuff like that. That's going to kind of uh, shed some light on why Vegas might have taken particular players. So you know th- that's part of what makes evaluating the job George McPhee did and what Vegas will look like next year uh really tough cuz there are still so many moving parts but with that said um i don't know what what was your takeaway or do you think that Vegas sort of had a plan and executed it and do you think that was the right plan like 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 what are you, what what are your feelings about um what where that franchise is looking right now and and where they're headed after what we saw last night i um i agreed with their approach in and, you know, kind of passing on building the best possible team to, in order to collect young players and draft picks. And I, and like you said, I, I don't think we're done seeing what the complete picture looks like. So, I, you know, I, I don't think we can judge George McPhee until we know all those, those moves because I think there's some of these guys are going to be traded. Um, uh, but I will say this, and, and we tend to hype things up and build things up. I was, I was surprised. I, I thought that... Um, I was surprised by the prices that I, they were more reasonable than what we were hearing, right? Mm-hmm. In order to kind of not touch players or, um, you know, I would talk to people kind of going into it and like, oh, George McPhee is, it's outrageous and you're going to see some crazy stuff. And I, I thought it was fairly reasonable. Like, I, I guess I, I was, it's not a knock on George McPhee, but like, I, you know, I, I thought maybe we'd see bigger prices paid to lay off players. Well, here's what I thought was the most sort of uh, enlightening part to come from the draft. And I imagine that, you know, before George McPhee made all of those picks, he had had discussions around the league with various GMs about, you know, what they what they might be interested in themselves or what they, what they might be willing to pay for certain players they can claim because it seems pretty clear that they're not necessarily worried about filling out next year's roster as much as they are acquiring future assets. Right. And right. You know, there was two schools of thought before the expansion draft with all these mock drafts. And one of them, which I initially thought was the way to go, was just loading up on as many goalies as possible and sort of cornering that market this summer and, you know, selling from a position of strength and trying to 
recoup value that way. But then I started thinking yeah. about, you know, where the league's headed and what we've seen with recent trends at, at trade deadlines and in the past few summers. And it seems like, you know, goalie stock is definitely dropping, whereas defensemen are in hot commodities. And I think we saw that yeah. with them. You know, they took 13 defensemen and only three goalies. Yeah. And it's pretty clear that, you know, they've already traded Schlemko. And I imagine a few of those other guys, like a Mark Mathot and stuff, will probably get moved. And I imagine that yeah. was the major driving force, just what the current market dictates for those players and what they retain in trade trade purposes. Yeah, I... I... I, I, you know, I agree with everything you said. And the, the goalie thing's interesting because, yeah, it was like just just take as many as you need and start dispersing them. And, um, I, you know, I talked to somebody that uh, I talked to a team that is kind of in the goalie market and uh, kind of pitched that idea. And he said, look, look, they were being told pretty clearly from George McPhee if they didn't have a deal done going into this, they weren't going to take a goalie in hopes of trading him later. Basically, cause you don't want to get stuck with five goalies, right, or whatever it would have been, you know. So that, that deal had to be in place early, and, and you know, obviously it didn't happen. And I, you know, but when you talk to teams this time of year, I don't know a team that doesn't isn't saying we need to add a defenseman. That, like that's always a need, um, you know, no matter when, you know, at the trade deadline or or now. And I mean, yeah, I'm looking at this roster now. I mean, they're loaded with D, um, and and the beauty of it is all of them except for Mathot come off the books after this season. So these are all just short-term fixes for some teams um, or Vegas, but most likely some teams to acquire. At the same time, um, I wonder, like, you know, they've obviously prioritized that position. It was, I thought the one strange part about their draft was how they seem to prioritize a certain type of, you know, safe defensive defenseman type of player. And maybe that's just yeah. because they thought those guys might be more movable to teams around the deadline or right now they're trying to load up on their on their blue line. But it's like, you know, they weren't incentivized to take guys like Derek Englund and Lucas Spiza and Alexi Yemelin. And I think right. that it's interesting because there were so many defensemen available, um, but it was pretty clear that, you know, up front they were going to be very weak. And I thought they could have taken some more calculated home run swings with you know from montreal a guy like charles houdon or something or from calgary sure. maybe even a hunter correct just taking some guys that have been sort of stuck at the ahl level that could potentially with a bigger role produce for them and really kind of spread their wings and they seemed more willing to just take these sort of safe picks and maybe try to get like depth of draft picks for them instead rather than trying to uh to build from within with them i mean i know i i mean the Vegas staff was scouting hard, right? And, and my sense would be they came to the conclusion, some of those players you mentioned, and just said, you know, that upside, it, it probably isn't there. And, and um, you know, you're right. I think, I, you know, the kind of defensemen they took are, are kind of the guys that we always see get moved at the deadline and, and the kind of the safe depth defensemen. And, and ultimately they found that to be more valuable. I thought, you know, that was kind of... Um, Focus on it, but I thought their their decision, you know, with the kind of the Detroit players was it fit more what you were saying in terms of the player they took versus a guy that they could have moved maybe in Razik or Shane. They actually went for the AHL guy who they probably thought they can get more out of. So mm-hmm. they did it a little bit, but right. not not as much as you know I would have thought they might have. Yeah, the tough thing with the entire process was, uh, you know, there was obviously a lot going on behind the scenes that we weren't necessarily privy to right away. And then even as it got reported, it was just so tough to wrap your head around. And I think it was 
this sort of catch twenty two that was going on with teams like the uh, like the Ducks in the Wild, where right, you know, for, at first it was easy to just say, well, listen, it's a bit of a an old boys club, and it seems like George McPhee might be doing uh, you know his his peers a little bit of a favor and taking it easy on them by not you know settling on not taking guys like Josh Manson or Matt Dumba or or a few others, but then you kind of come to the conclusion that there was this sort of middle ground that needed to be struck with a mutually beneficial agreement because if there wasn't then those teams could have easily sort of preemptively gone the other way and just traded them away even if it right. was for 50 to 75 cents on a dollar and then left vegas with nothing to really pick from so it, it wasn't necessarily I think that's, that's an important yeah. observation to make because i think people just looked at the list that was you know presented on sunday and said whoa they can put together this good team and it's like no these guys wouldn't have been on that list if mm. these middle ground deals have been struck. So it's, I think it's an important distinction to make that I think some people aren't making. Yeah. And I think that from both of those teams, it seems like they extracted a decent amount of value. I think, you know, like, especially with Shea Theodore, I thought uh, that was a savvy move from them. I'm not, I guess it depends on uh, how you feel about the prospect they got from, from Minnesota with, with that, with Eric Halla. So that would sort of skew your opinion on it, but it did. I don't know. Do you think that they extracted enough value from those two teams, just given the the brand name value of the players that they agreed agreed not to take? Yeah, I, I the um, Minnesota one. I thought they got. I thought I, I liked what Chuck Fletcher did there, hmm. um, just because. Like what's so now? Now you, he can still trade one of those defensemen if that's what he wants to do in the next couple of days, and that certainly seems to be the case, um, and. You know, I think they're going to get more than what they gave up. But I guess, you know, to go to your point, it's, it depends on what you think of the players. But I think the value for the defensemen that they were able to protect will be more. You know, I, I think there's that, that ledger is going to be in the wild's favor. Well, if you look at, I was, you know, as a thought exercise, I was looking for the past few years of, uh, you know, guys that would fit this bill of being like under 25 uh, defensemen that were already you know, relevant top four contributors to their teams and sort of how often they get traded and, and what what they get traded for. And the the list is very short. I mean, over the past few years, there's been like four or five right. guys like that, that have been moved and they're all moved for, for premium assets, whether they're, you know, one for one really good players like the Adam Larson, Taylor Hall swap, or whether they're, you know, a guy like Eric Branson or something for, you know, a former first and Jared McCann and two picks. Right. And, and you see a lot of moves like that. So I'm sure that, the Wild will be able to recoup a pretty nice value for any of those guys, assuming that's the route they decide to go. Right. No, and I agree. And But, like, so, you know, you, you look at Dumba, I think he's got the pedigree, number seven overall. Mm-hmm. Young, still 22. If they do trade him, they're going to get a, a nice piece. And and so we say, well, then maybe, you know, Vegas should have gotten given up more. But, like you said earlier, that then they just trade Dumba before the expansion draft. He wouldn't, you know, so there's... It'll be like it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out at the end. Well, yeah, I mean, from Minnesota's perspective, uh, obviously the season didn't end the way they hoped, but you know the regular season was a smashing success for them, and there's no reason to believe that you know the percentages might come down a bit and they might not not win as many games, but they'll be back to a playoff team and and potential contender status next season. And for the longest time, we were looking at the future outlook with this expansion draft, and it seemed pretty clear that they were going to lose one key contributor. And they didn't really like. I like Eric Halla; he's fine, but he's sort of like right. a bottom six expendable type for them, given their depth. And they really sort of kept their team together, which I thought, as you as you mentioned, with the job Chuck Fletcher did, I thought that was a 
he was one of the big winners coming out of this thing. I agree. I, he may be the biggest winner just because we there was a, uh, there's been an assumption now for a year they were going to lose a really good player. And Chuck even would say that. You talk to me. He's like, look, you, you know, we're not going to do anything to, you know, to crazy preemptive. We're if, if we have to lose a good player, we'll lose a good player. And and um, I thought he I handled it really well because they didn't. Well, you know, whenever we look and sort of forecast uh, a team's depth chart or, or, you know, how they might allocate the resources moving forward and then whether there might be a logjam, you sort of, it's like blood in the water mentality where your teams just, or or I guess, you know, fans just start circling around them and trying to make these, uh, right. you know, fantasy book these trades that'll, you know, help their own team way more than they'll help the other team. And with Minnesota, right. there was a lot right. of this, like, oh, I don't know, Jason Zucker, you know, he's uh, he's a Las Vegas native. He'd sure look good on the Golden Knights. And then it's like, oh, well, they have a logjam. Maybe they can't afford Nino Niederreiter and we can just get him for 50 cents <laughs> right. a dollar. And that still might happen. But, at, you know, it seems like Chuck Fletcher and the Wild are, you know, operating with the right mentality here where it's like we're in a good position and there's no reason to panic. Let's just kind of let things come to us and see where it goes. Yeah, they're, they're in a great position because they're, they're the ones holding the the piece that everybody wants in, in young defensemen that are that can play, and so then it becomes a debate. Like, if are you comfortable running back that same Minnesota Wild team if you're Chuck Fletcher? And you know why? Now that you don't have to make a move, is that even something you still want to do? And, and um, I don't know. Like, as good as they were during the regular season, I, I'm not sure. I like. I, I think he does need to shake it up. So I still think he's, there's some pressure on him to make a move. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be players here in the next few days. Um, so the and then the other sort of uh, big big transactions we saw were the Blue Jackets and Islanders essentially made the same type of deal with Vegas, where it was a first and a future second for taking a bad contract and a specific player from them. Um, yeah. What What do you think about those? Because it seemed like there were pretty hefty prices to pay, but at the same time for both teams. Especially with Islanders now, you know we'll see how they use that cap space. The, the Jordan Everly thing's a good start, and they're and they're heavily rumored yeah. in the Matt Duchesne sweepstakes, for example. And if they get him, that'd be a home run. I think that that was a pretty interesting sort of mutually beneficial deal where Vegas gets two nice picks and kind of fills that money that they weren't really going to use anyways this these coming few years. And the other teams right. who are in more win now mode uh, free up money to to go big and swing for the fences with certain players. Yeah, I think. If you look at like Vegas now, uh, three first round picks, three second round picks going into the draft this year, and, and I mean that, that's uh, you know they, they did well there. I, I thought maybe they'd end up with even four or five first rounders, but uh, I liked I liked those deals for both of them because Columbus Columbus is the other kind of hot button one where it was always Minnesota Wild and Columbus and, and Blue Jackets are going to lose a really good player um, that they were able to to not necessarily lose one of the kind of the guys that they were concerned with and get rid of a uh, major contract I, I you know I think that was pretty nice for them yeah no I agree with that it, it made sense um the the one sort of big move that didn't make sense to me and I guess if you just want to purely call it a money crunch and they got a mandate from ownership that they tried to set, shed salary then I guess it makes some sense but the Panthers yeah. kind of getting yeah. up two key contributors um I feel like there's more going on here uh, behind the scenes <laughs> yeah. than just uh, than just a, 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 a financial decision going on. Yeah. Now I can't. I haven't d- 
dove into this, so I, I can't. I don't want to say it with any, but it does. It seems like there's some like undoing going on there, and and uh, I, I agree. I didn't. I wasn't crazy about Florida's moves, um, and uh, you know, if we're doing winners and losers from the expansion draft, like I I, I didn't like what, what Florida necessarily did there. But I, I, I I'm trying. I'm trying to wrap my head around it. And I can't. Well, the thing is, there's definitely, uh, you know, at least from the outside, some undoing go- going on, and they're basically trying to run it back and, and have the team that they had two years ago. But it's like, I think if you look at all the moves they made last summer um, and you just look at them one by one, like, it's tough to yeah. argue that any of them were bad and most of them were, you know, pretty no-brainer for them. So, like, obviously the year didn't go the, the way they wanted and there's a lot of things that went into that and, you know, injuries and poor luck and certain things not going their way but i it, it just seems like a a bizarre situation they're in and i feel like this is uh just sort of the start like i feel like there's more where this came from well well i mean we'll see but yeah it's i just want like to me i you think about all the moves that were made last year you're right i thought their their off season was, was good um you know the yandel deal maybe is gonna we'll look back and Maybe not too favorably on that one ultimately, but that's that's a price you pay in free agency to play ball. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought the, the handling of the coach that was the biggest issue. I thought right. the previous, I, I, you know, I, I just you know who, who knows how that season ends if, if you just if you keep the coach in place. It just seemed to turn things upside down unnecessarily. So, do you think that the Yandel deal and how uh, it's looked so far, and maybe how it's perceived around the league, is going to affect? Uh, what happens with Kevin Shattuck this summer, or do you think that he's going to basically get mm. uh, sort of a blank check and just do whatever you want from from one team at least? I, I, you know, it, all it takes is one team, right? So maybe maybe some other teams are more conservative because. But I, I mean, you remember we had that one summer where the GMs were like very reasonable. It was like three years ago, and nobody was getting crazy deals. And the term was short, and you're like, okay, everybody's learned about free agency. You know, they're, they're getting you know the People are smartening up that that's probably not the best use of funds. And then, like last year, there were some crazy deals. Like, you know, you look at the Andrew Ladd contract and Bacchus, and, and you're like, boy, there's, they're going to be bad fairly quickly. And and just because there's pressure to improve your team, and that's a, a, one way to do it. And I think Kevin Shattenkirk, I don't think he's going to be impacted by handle at all. I think he's going to get a, a pretty good number because um, all it takes is one team that, that needs him, and he's a, a unique talent. Yeah, would that one team uh, be be you know one that's shed some salary on the on the blue line uh, the past couple of weeks and might be a, a big yeah. market that that has some ties to him? Yeah, I think I, I mean <laughs> you know not to uh, I think the Rangers are a nice fit. Um, you know, I, I I know they they actually had some conversations with Vegas because you know Vegas can spend some money and uh, during that window and ultimately nothing was, was done there, but. You know, I don't want to assume anything's done because a player gets this far into free agency. They, all, I think, they always want to listen to everything. And I know there was some speculation that he turned down that deal with Tampa when there was a trade um, back then. But I think that's a, you know another interesting possibility there for a team that's shedding. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's a couple good options for him. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's going to be a hot commodity. Um, okay, but before I let you go, I. I be remiss if I didn't uh, 
have you talk a little bit about what's going on in Detroit with the Petter Mrazek situation while I have you here because it's mm-hmm. uh, sure. it's something that's you know garnered a lot of attention around the league and definitely raised some eyebrows. Um, how much of this is uh, actually uh, concerns about Petter Mrazek and how and how much of it is valid that you know the speculation that a guy like Jared Coro, for example, has uh, superseded him on their uh, organizational depth chart in that. I think this, I mean, he had, Peter Morazic was, was bad this year. Yeah. There's no, uh, he wasn't good. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually did a couple of stories in the athletic. One was in, uh, um, a kind of an on ice breakdown on how Jimmy Howard made some adjustments, played a little deeper in that. And Peter Morazic was still his really aggressive self, uh, kind of relying too much on his athleticism to make saves. Um, just, it kind of, probably needs to modernize his game a little bit, right? And um, and, had, and he had a rough year. So I think that, like, we, sometimes you don't have to overthink it, but, like, I think it was his reaction to how when things went sideways, that there was some frustration that he didn't want to dig in and do the work, um, maybe. So there was, you factor that in. I know there was some, you know, this was, yeah, he was an arbitration case or nearly an arbitration case, and that, that kind of... Um, that contract negotiation went down to the wire. There was all these things started to add up, and and um, I don't know if, you know where he's been passing the depth chart, but I I think the one thing you can say is um, we got a really good idea of what his value is around the league. Um, in fact, when he was exposed in the expansion draft, there's teams that need goalies, and um, he doesn't get picked and, and spun somewhere else. And I think I think uh, that that really should be an eye-opener for him and for, for you know people that are evaluating him yeah i'm i'm on the record as still being a being a pretty magic guy i think that you know goalie performance can be very volatile from year to year and obviously it was concerning yeah. that he took such a step back last year but just given his age and track record i feel like even if he you know it, it seems like he's got plenty of time to make those adjustments as you said and sure. uh and yeah I'm, I'm still optimistic about him i think that you know it, it, this could serve as a good good thing for him. I know that you wrote about this in uh, in your preview of the situation before the expansion draft, where if he wasn't claimed, maybe this would be a little bit of a wake up call and sort of uh, yeah. a good motivator. And maybe this is uh, the best case scenario for the Red Wings, where they didn't wind up losing him, and, and he might be better for it. Um, sort of like just looking, taking a big picture view of the Red Wings, though. Like I know you guys had, uh, and this is what I love about the Athletic, where you guys allow. Uh, you know, different uh, perspectives and views to be on the same site, but they're actually like well-founded and, and well-reasoned. And, you know, ha- you had this one article uh, from Frank Premanzano, which was sort of looking at how you'd rebuild the Red Wings. And it was, uh, you know, this more conventional, just kind of blow it up and acquire as many picks as you can approach. And then you had Tyler Dello writing about how maybe they should actually trade their picks and acquire defensemen and stuff yeah. like that. And like, where are you on that side of the ledger? And what do you think that, Kenny Hall and the Red Wings are actually going to do there because it does seem, you know, it's always tough to buy too much into what's said publicly uh, because there's a lot of like saving face involved, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem like, uh, you know, Ken Holland in particular seems like he has too much of an appetite for this, you know, long-term rebuild where you're trusting the process and really blowing it all up. There's, there's pretty much zero appetite for that. So it, yeah, so we kind of went at it from all angles. So you had Tyler Dallow's piece, which was fascinating. It's like, look, if you were truly trying to win in Detroit, 
then you have to use these first round picks to, to get an impact defensive because that that's where their their biggest need is. Uh, Frank Provenzano wrote writing from an executive point of view, competing against the Red Wings for years, basically saying, and, and he, you know, what made his position unique or his experience unique is he's been through both the complete teardown when he was with the Washington Capitals and they got Ovechkin. And he's also been with uh, like, let's try to get younger on the fly without getting bad with the Dallas stars. And so he, he's, he's been through both of them and his, his conclusion was to tear it down. And then I did a piece that I really tried to outline, okay, what's, to, to your question, what is the plan and what does it have to look like for it to succeed? And, and you know, that there isn't right now in the Detroit front office, a, a, an appetite to tear it down. Uh, you know, I think there's for every Edmonton and Toronto where they end up getting the franchise centerman and getting the ping pong ball to, to fall. I, you know, there's lots of other examples where teams tear it down and, and it takes a long time to get out of that. And you may never get that franchise player. Um, yeah, you look at Arizona, like who, what's been their reward for so far for, you know, I mean, Clayton Keller's a nice piece, but like they, they just didn't get the bounces, right. That they, they really, really needed to, for, for a huge payoff. And, and I think Detroit's also a uh, unique, you know, it, when you talk to the reasoning about why they don't want to tear it down is they really believe that they've, they've instilled a culture of winning that, that would be risk losing if you, if you strip it down and, and they, you know, they, they value that. Now, how, how do you quantify that or how do you, I don't know. And, and um, so that, you know, they, on some level they feel like they're, they're different than other organizations because they have two decades of success that they want to, they want that culture to remain and, and they would feel it's, you risk losing it. Um, so what does it look like? You know, their plan is to accumulate a bunch of draft picks and um, you know, they've, you can point to a lot of examples of getting good players late in the first round and the second round that are those impact players that you need. Um, but, and, and Ken Holland said this, like we need to draft better if we're going to do it. So it's, it's, it's the combination of accumulating draft picks and hoping that you're, that you can just strengthen numbers and then hitting on some of them. And they, in, you know, he said, look, we've, we've kind of gone dry in the draft and that's the reality. They have this, they have a reputation as being a good, draft and develop team and they have been for a long time but they haven't um you know they haven't drafted that impact defenseman um, or, or centerman aside from dylan larkin um and they haven't hit in the second and third rounds at those positions yeah part of that is the you know the price of being uh a good team every year where obviously it impacts your draft position but also if you're you know, for years on end, trying to make deadline moves to bolster your lineup for a playoff run, and all of a sudden you're you're kind of siphoning off draft picks and prospects, and yeah. it's, it's you you eventually do wind up paying a price for that. I mean, you know, like the Canucks are a great example of of, of that under under Mike Gillis, and you see it around the league where it's really tough to uh, to maintain your 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 sort of pipeline of prospects while also being a, a good NHL team. I feel like you know tampa bay might be like one of the only teams that's actually been doing it successfully and i guess you can the chicago blackhawks as well as well with all of their uh ncaa free agent signings yeah and and i i would put the penguins in that category like right. that was my criticism of the penguins for a while um you know they, they were moving so many prospects i didn't necessarily like the phil kessel trade because I, I thought they were at a point where they needed an infusion of youth and i and i thought the only way to do that was to keep those first round picks keep those prospects and and give them time to join Sidney Crosby. Um, and I, you know, I give the Penguins credit because they have found guys late, late. And like Jake Gensel, the latest example of that, I mean, that, that's a great pick. And, 
and maybe there's a lesson there. If you're a contending team um, and you have the you have the, the time, I mean, they've they've tipped a lot into colleges, and, and you look at their draft record. A lot of their a lot of their good young players that are, have helped them win the last couple of Stanley Cups have come to the college route, and they got that extra development time. Um, and you know, I'm sure that's intentional. Yeah, I believe it, uh, Craig. Thanks for taking the time to come chat, man. I know it's a uh, a very busy time of the year, but I'm excited to uh, to have you back in the mix in the media game. And uh, you know, the, it's only been a week or so so far, but the uh, the athletic the Detroit branch is looking pretty promising, and I'm excited to see where you guys go with it. Yeah, I'm excited to do it. It's I, the response from the fans in Detroit has, has been unbelievable, and it's really um, I, I, I got a lot of like emails and notes from people that are like that don't live in Detroit, that aren't even Red Wings fans or Detroit. They're like, look, we're just excited that this is happening and we want to support good stuff. And I, you know, I, someone from Texas the other day just said, I, I'm, I'm signed up for a year just to support it. And I think, you know, what, what the athletic is doing and it's you know, only going to grow from here is uh, it's, it's an exciting thing to be a part of. It's exciting to watch from afar as well, man. Um, enjoy the next couple of these hectic weeks and we'll, uh, we'll get you back on the show sometime down the road. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks Dimitri. Chat soon. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. Mm-hmm.